Welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast. Our mission is to highlight and connect researchers in the type 1 diabetes space. I'm Monica Wesley, founder of the Sugar Science and your host for today's podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Azorta Santin. She's a professor at the University of Basque Country in Spain. And um, her work is uh, very interesting to us, especially her work on uh, the long coding RNA. And she's going to talk to us about uh, her work um, in the space today. Welcome, Sorta. Hi, how are you? Oh, we're great. Um, so I just wanted to start off. Um, can you talk to us about how you became scientifically interested in type 1 diabetes? So it was a little bit random, let's say. I, when I finished my career at the University of the Basque Country, I found uh, an, uh, an announced saying that they were looking for somebody to work on type 1 diabetes and celiac disease, that it's another autoimmune disease. Uh, they wanted somebody to do the, the PhD, the thesis. So I started reading about the type 1 diabetes, about autoimmunity, and I, I got really interested. And this is how I started. This, that was my beginning a long time ago. Okay, fantastic. So it's kind of fortuitous. So what are your thoughts about work that's being done in your field currently that's addressing type 1 diabetes? Sorry, I lost the, I lost the signal. Can you repeat the question? Oh, yes, sure. What are your thoughts about the work being done in your field currently that addresses type 1 diabetes? So what I, what I started doing was to check for novel susceptibility genes. It was mainly genetics. So I was looking for polymorphisms that were associated with type 1 diabetes. And after I finished my PhD, I moved to, to Brussels, and there I started to, to perform more functional, functional studies. So my main research line is now focused on, um, let's say, the molecular characterization of uh, type 1 diabetes susceptibility genes. And mainly now I'm focused on non-coding RNAs or non-coding molecules. Okay. How they, how they uh, participate in pancreatic beta cell dysfunction. Okay. Um, so can you share sort of your, you know, the, the exciting new work you're doing in your lab and, you know, maybe some of um, the newest papers you've, you've published in that whole realm? Yes, yeah, so the, the, the last paper we have published in PNAS, um, it's a focused on the characterization of a lone encoding RNA that is associated with a genetic risk to develop the type 1 diabetes. Uh, we started working on this because my colleague, Ainara Castellanos, she did a very great work during her postdoc in, in New York. She characterized this lone encoding RNA in another autoimmune disease, uh, in uh, celiac disease. And she saw that it was implicated in the pathogenesis of uh, celiac disease. The point is that uh, this non-coding RNA uh, has one polymorphism that is associated not only with celiac disease, but also with type 1 diabetes. And the most interesting point is that the opposite allele, allele is associated with one or with the other. So when she came from her postdoc, she told me, oh, it's actually, you know, that um, there is a lone oncoding RNA that is uh, associated with type 1 diabetes that I have just uh, shown that is uh, implicated in celiac disease pathogenesis. So we started uh, checking it at the pancreatic beta cell level because I have been always working with pancreatic beta cells. We know that type 1 diabetes is a multifactor that not only uh, the immune system is implicated in, in its pathogenesis. So we started, uh, let's say, characterizing this long encoding RNA at the pancreatic level. And for this aim, what we did was to, 
to overexpress this long encoding RNA, but uh, with the two alleles, we have two vectors that were overexpressing long encoding 13 with a protective allele for Taiwan uh, diabetes, and the other one that was overexpressing the risk allele. And what we saw was that when we were overexpressing the long encoding 13 with the risk allele for Taiwan diabetes, there was an increase in pancreatic beta cell inflammation. Mainly, the STAT1 signaling pathway was upregulated, and this led to increased chemokine production. That, as you probably know, chemokine production is implicated in the attraction of the immune system into the islets. So, um, the point is that London COVID 13 was uh, regulating this uh, pathway, this inflammatory pathway. And interestingly, the risk allele was, let's say, exacerbating the increase of this inflammation. And for us, this was really, really amazing and really, really interesting. Yes, it is really interesting. What is your hypothesis for that, you know, for this, for this um, situation? So what we think is when a person has the, the risk allele for Taiwan diabetes, and if this person gets a viral infection, that as you probably know also, viral infections have been implicated in the pathogenesis of the disease, although there is still a lot of controversy regarding the implication of these viruses. When a person with the long encoding 13 with the risk allele for Taiwan diabetes gets an infection with the Coxsackie virus, what is going to happen is that the inflammation is going to be exacerbated. Um, I mean, this person is going to develop a much more potent, let's say, antiviral response that is going to provoke a, an increased inflammation in beta cells and it's going to attract much more immune cells into the pancreatic eyelids at the end provoking the destruction of them. This is our hypothesis. Mm -hmm. and, and so how could you mitigate that? How could you, um, you know, how could you counteract that? Um, could you make something to, you know, to block this uh, RNA or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, the, the best thing would be to, to try to somehow knock down long encoding 13, but it has to be uh, in pancreatic beta cells specifically, because probably long encoding 13 is having other functions in other tissues and other cells. How to do this is it's really difficult nowadays uh, something that is being used is CRISPR, but of course, it still is not very well developed. So it's something that we think to, we have to think about how to how to silent or how to knock down a long encoding 13, mainly when we have the risk allele, to somehow inhibit its uh, its function uh, in inflammation at the pancreatic beta cell level. Mm. Yeah. Um, are there any other um experimental models where this has done been done successfully knocking down the lung coding rna one this lung encoding concretely no and i don't really know if uh, somebody has tried to do that in pancreatic beta cells or in other um, cell model until now i think that not a lot of success doing this kind of thing in a let's say tissue specific way mm. yeah it's um it's very um, it's very complex. And now, is this the only the only project that's going on in your laboratory? No, we are working in other long encoding RNAs, not only in type one diabetes, but also, as I said before, in other autoimmune diseases like celiac disease or ulcerative colitis. 
And um, now we are very interested in these low non-coding RNAs that, although they are called non-coding, have some small open reading frames that, um, ah. yes, that are encoding micropeptides. Uh, we have just started checking a little bit uh, how these uh, micropeptides ha can have a role in pancreatic beta cell destruction in type 1 diabetes. Hmm. That's so very they are non-coding, but still it seems that they, they are able to code some small proteins that can be functional in some conditions. Do you think that they are, these micropeptides are being uh, translated or produced in times of stress or just sort of always at a background level? I think that at both. I think that um, my hypothesis is that when you have, uh, for example, a viral infection or when you have these immune cells um, releasing uh, cytokines, pro-inflammatory cytokines, most probably um, the, the trans, trans, translation at the pancreatic beta cell level is going to change. So most probably when you have this kind of stress, uh, these long encoding RNAs are going to encode these micropeptides. Mm -hmm. Probably and also at the basal condition, but uh, most probably uh, in case that they are implicated in type 1 diabetes, it's going to be in response to this kind of uh, diabetogenic stressors. Yeah. Is there any evidence that the, the micropeptides encoded by the, uh, the RNAs, uh, the long coding uh, RNAs, are acting as an antigen? For um, for um, you know any of the the local immune cells in the pain? Not, not yet. There are very very few um, works uh, studying this. Indeed, just this week, I think I have read two that have been published in in the archive, describing some micropeptides and their role in pancreatic beta cell function. But it, as you said before, in basal condition. So perhaps these micropeptides can work as antigens. Yes, it's possible. Indeed, this is one of my hypotheses, but let's see. It's something that is, it has not been studied yet, so we need to see. Yeah, that's really interesting. What are your thoughts about if you were able to, you know, identify one of these antigens or even identify or, or really, you know, really be able to identify the pancreatic beta long coding RNA. How could you scale this? How could you scale some kind of um, therapy to address it outside of CRISPR? Is there any way? This is something that I, I have asked to myself a lot of times. And uh, for example, for me, it's clear when we speak about peptides, as we said before, this can be used, I think it's, um, for example, for diagnosis. If we, yeah. if we are able to see that we find a micropeptide that uh, serves as an autoantigen, a new autoantigen, we can use this, for example, to develop an ELISA that could be helpful for, for diagnosis. In the case of the treatment, I think that everything is a little bit more difficult because it's a complex disease. For example, in the case of long coding 13, okay, we have seen that if you have the risk allele, you are going to have an exacerbation of inflammation in response to a viral infection. But this is not only the reason of why you are developing type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So at the end, if you want to, to, to have a therapy to avoid the destruction of the, beta cell of, the, of the pancreatic beta cell, it has to be something very broad. 
you have to target a lot of things at the same time, I guess. I think that is not so simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But it's still very important to understand the uh, mechanics of what's happening um, when the beta cells are under stress and how, you know, how they are responding, because you don't know what one piece of data might, uh, you know, add to the puzzle. So, yeah, I agree with that. Um, totally agree. Yeah. What do you, um, just sort of, this is a random, you know, sort of out there question. Where do you think that, you, that the cure from type 1 diabetes might come from? What discipline? Genet I mean, we have genetics, immunology, there's cell biology, there's developmental biology, stem cell biology, so many multifactorial, um, you know, disciplines of science are looking at type 1. But do you have, I mean, just sort of a personal thought? I'm not an expert in immunology because I work much more on the beta cell, but I think that it can come from immunology. I don't know, there are now some therapies that are, are trying to re-educate the immune cells. Mm -hmm. The point is, what happened? You can re-educate the, the immune cells not to attack the beta cells, but the beta cells are already destroyed. So you have to, it has to be a kind of combination. Okay, we re-educate the, the, the immune system not to attack the, the beta cells, but at the same time, we have to regenerate these beta cells that have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. So I think that it has to be a combination of different fields trying to find um, a kind of puzzle, let's say, to, to, to find the cure for type 1 diabetes. I think that perhaps we, we can prevent the development if we check the genetics of the people and we take these people at risk and we try to, to develop some uh, therapeutics to, let's say, avoid the immune attack, this is going to be perfect. But once you develop the disease, then you need to, to combine things. You need to do re-educate your immune system, not to attack the cells, and you have to regenerate these beta cells. So it's something much more complex. Yeah, I totally agree. I do think that, that uh, you know, a global screening of um, people and an understanding of the different types of you know, type one, even the subsets of type one would be very important to know for baseline. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, what, do, how do you think that, um, young researchers can approach these challenge, uh, the challenges, um, you know, to coming into, to, to this time with, uh, with COVID and social um, distancing and uh, what do you, what do you, this is sort of shifting gears for a minute, but what do you think, what is your advice to young researchers trying to stay in type one diabetes research and trying to um, connect with scientists in the field when we have all these constraints because of COVID? So I see myself still as a young scientist, <laughs> but, but my advice is that this kind of, of efforts as the one you are doing with the sewer science are really, really important. Because mainly now that we are with the COVID pandemic, that we cannot move to congresses, to conferences, to contact other people, to have collaborations. So it has to be everything online. Let's say we have to, to try to make, to take all these tools to explain what we are doing and try to, to unificate or to yes to put together the efforts of different scientists, mainly the young ones, because uh, for young people it's going to be really difficult. I think that with this COVID pandemic thing, funding is going to be less and less, unfortunately. And um, so we have we have to to make uh, to put all our efforts on this, on try to 
to make our science and our research accessible to, to other people and mainly to other scientists in order to, to create collaborations. Yeah, I to I, well, we agree because we're, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And we also are very interested in inviting um, not just the U.S., we're based in Los Angeles in the U.S., but we want to invite global scientists because we feel that the more voices, the more diversity we have coming to the table to discuss this uh, disease, um, the, more, uh, the, the higher likelihood of a connection, a collaboration forming that could actually expedite the research, you know, make things go faster. So, yeah. I totally agree. And um, it's for us, normally here in Europe, it's easier to collaborate with people in Europe. Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult to reach people in the United States because we don't see each other normally in the conferences. You go to the ESD here and very few people from the United States is coming. You have the, the other Congress there in, 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 in the United States, but very few people from Europe used to go. So I think that this kind of efforts are really important to try to, to connect um, research in the United States and in Europe and in other parts of the world, of course. Yeah, well, thank you. I hope this is our mission. So let's hope we can continue. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, other scientists and postdocs, graduate students? I think that uh, research is really, really important. I think uh, that is a beautiful career. It's hard. But I would like also to mention the patients because uh, a couple of years ago, I used to be always in my lab, in my bench, working with myself, but I didn't have any kind of contact with patients. And um, two, two, three years ago, here there is a foundation in, in Spain uh, that is called Diabetes Tero. That is a foundation uh, with uh, patients with type 1 diabetes and families with type 1 diabetes. And they did their, their first congress and they invited a lot of researchers to go there and explain to the families in a very um, divulgative way, let's say, our research. And for me, it was an incredible experience because in that way, you put a face to, to your research, you know. You are in your events like this, looking to yourselves, to your experiments, but you don't put the face of these people that are, are facing with uh, type 1 diabetes. And I think that this is important. It's important to know why are you working. You have your aim. Your aim is to cure, to, to try to, to have a tool to cure this disease. And it's important to put a face to, to this research. Yeah, I, I think that's a very important comment because it is such a... When you see um, how people struggle with it, um, it, it, it gives you a, a sense of urgency and also a real sense of purpose uh, that your work will you know, potentially build towards a, a real cure for, this, for so many people. And the, the numbers for type 1 diabetes are rising around the globe. So mm -hmm. it is an important, there is an urgency to it. Um, oh my gosh. Well, Asorda, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It was, it was a, pleasure. a pleasure. It was a, yeah, pleasure. it was a pleasure for me too. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. And we hope uh, we'll keep an eye on your work. It's fascinating. And we really, um, we really hope that it uh, continues despite the COVID. <laughs> yes, let's hope.